Welcome to the Take 5 podcast series from Fortinet. You give us a few minutes and we provide five cybersecurity tips and best practices for today's technology leaders. This podcast series taps into the experience from the Fortinet Field CISO team and the work being done with and through our ecosystem of partners, technologies, and experts. I'm your host, Jim Richburg, Fortinet's CISO for the public sector. And today we're talking with Delaware Chief Security Officer, Solomon Adote. Welcome, Solomon. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Well, let's jump right in, Solomon. You have a really interesting background. So why don't you tell us a little about yourself and why cybersecurity is important to you? Thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. Um, cybersecurity is a means in my current role to, to get value out of, out of working in IT. Um, I've worked in retail, I've worked in uh, manufacturing and chemical. When you consider providing digital government services to citizens, when you consider enabling somebody with disability to vote uh, or enable somebody that is homeless to get uh, their services securely and their information is protected, that gives us value that uh, for myself and my team, it, it gives us a reason to wake up and then just go and, and give it our all. Uh, so cybersecurity has been that savior for me. Interestingly enough, I started my career in aviation. I actually went to college. I got an airways management science degree. I had uh, a vision of flight and Somewhere along the line, IT started calling me. It started telling me that you enjoy flight, but you also have a purpose. And that purpose evolved into cybersecurity. And for the last 20 years, I've been doing cybersecurity multiple levels from being technical to being uh, to thought leadership, to uh, subject matter expert, to uh, cyber leadership. And currently for the last three years, I've been leading the cybersecurity program for the state of Delaware and putting together a, a program and a strategy that ensures that we can securely provide the digital government services that we need to. Right, but I, I notice your title is Chief Security Officer. So your job jar also includes physical security and continuity of operations. And last time I checked, you have a president who's, whose residence of record is in your state. So, you know, I'm guessing cyber is really only one of many things that, that are on your plate. So Solomon, what changes or innovations in the public sector are changing how you think about cybersecurity? That's a great question. And, and to speak to my title, it's actually very interesting to combine physical and, uh, and electronic uh, security. Um, one of the things most people think about is that the two are completely different things. For me, one of my strong tenants and the foundations I build my information security program on is the identity lifecycle. And it's not just about how the identity moves through technology, moves through your network, but how it physically moves through your network. I mean, your physical buildings. So for me, if you get hired, uh, as we provision you logical access, I wanna provision you physical access. If you, know, you choose to explore other possibilities, I wanna be able to deprovision all of that level of access. At the same time, when you authenticate, I want that perspective of the physical. 
are you authenticating to me from California and walking into the office at the same time? Well, if you gain Superman skills, I want to know about it. So my role uniquely allows me to combine those factors and have a holistic view of an identity and how it interfaces with my system. When we talk about what, is, what are the, the changes or innovations in the public sector that uh, changed my perspective of cybersecurity, I would say digital government. And historically, the perspective of government is you show up at the, the government facility, you stand in line, you get your ticket, somebody sits behind the counter that has access to the technology to provide you a service. Well, we learned this from the pandemic and we've known it for years that not everybody can come and line up. Not everybody can come and provide that service. So we were doing ourselves a disservice because we weren't reaching all the customers that we needed, all the citizens that we needed. Digital government is the way. But when you look at digital government, cybersecurity programs have to align to it. If you build the castles with the tallest walls, with the spikes and the, the guards, and the people walk out, the data walk out, the information is out there, the castle is not protecting them walking around the town or the city. And that's why we now have to align our information security program to that identity, that individual, and that data. So wherever that identity interacts with that data, interacts with that system, in any format, in any platform, we can authenticate it, authorize it, and with full integrity provide that service. So I'll say when we focus on enhancing services to our constituents and our citizens, it drives how we look at cybersecurity. It also gives us a better perspective of what exactly are we protecting? Is it a building? Or is it that data? Yeah. Now, Solomon, I, I take it that Delaware, like every other state I'm familiar with, made the pivot to uh, work from home when, when COVID hit. And it, it strikes me that given the breadth of what you do, not just cybersecurity, the fact that you think physical security, you think identity and its different manifestations, you may have been in a better place compared to some of your peers who are purely cyber focused, because my sense is there were some places that said, all right, due diligence is we give you multi-factor authentication, we give you a VPN connection back to the network, but then we're essentially treating you as if you're logged on from your cubicle, whereas the reality is they're in a physical location that the enterprise has no visibility and really no control over what's going on in there. You know, so because you think big by default, it seems that you may have been in a better position to deal with that and not take, you know, not put the blinders on and say, check the box, I've done it. It's like business as usual. I mean, is that a fair characterization? I think it's an interesting statement because even though we had the strategy, even though we have thought we had thought extensively about it, even though we had a plan for it, even though we were actively engaged in deploying technologies to it, we were still not as ready as we would have liked. One of the biggest part of cybersecurity that sometimes we miss is the change management. The technology itself might exist, but adapting it to the working environment of the user, adapting it to the so solutions that they, they leverage we were not ready yet. You know, we envision the SASE model, the zero trust model where the user interfaces with an application that consumes data. Everything else is abstracted. There is no physical network. There's no internal or external network. That's all it's about. 
And even though we were building towards that, we weren't quite there yet. Right. So we had to put our users through some pain. <laughs> we had to drastically roll out tech, some, some technologies. We had to give them multiple modes of, of, of working. There were some that had access to state managed assets. There were some that were using the kids computer and you still needed them to be able to effectively work. So we had to combine multiple technologies from, um, from virtualization to, to, to real terminal services to, to other presentation layers, reverse proxying apps to ensure that we could deliver and enable the team to effectively work. So it was interesting, we, we, were, we were planning for a situation like this, but we weren't quite ready for where they came. <laughs> So you, you, but you got there in a hurry. So yeah. the last year has certainly seen a number of high profile threats emerge uh, that have been top of mind for a, a lot of people who aren't cyber experts. Now you work with other senior leaders in government, state government. So how real is concern around an expanding threat landscape from your perspective to, to leaders in state government? What does it mean to them? It is very real now. It's, it's, it's more real now than it has ever been. And uh, when I get, came from the, pub, the private sector to the public sector, I got the sense that they weren't as scared straight as I was. <laughs> what I had seen and what I had dealt with and the constant persistent attacks where you had access to credit cards, right? You had access to customer data, you had access to information they wanted, you had access to financial data they could leverage, you were a target. What we saw in the last three years, really starting from I'll say the 2018 timeframe was they figured out something about state government. They figured out that we're usually understaffed. They figured that we were usually behind on the technology. We're usually not funded. They figured out that the you know, I make the, the joke of the from a local government perspective that sometimes we have to stop and go mow the lawn and come back and do the work. They, from a, from a um, uh, research perspective, it feels like they did some research and then they came at us where we need, they knew we were susceptible from a patching perspective, from an application perspective, from a technology debt perspective. Um, and the volume increased. Before, when somebody made a lot of noise, you, you focused on them. Now, the things that are making the lot, the, a lot of noise are probably not the ones you should be looking at. Look at the ones that are quiet, the ones that are contacting you every five minutes. And the skill set changed. Um, we're not just seeing people constantly port scanning us. We're seeing SQL injection. We're, we're seeing you know, uh, in code injections, we're seeing privilege escalations, we're seeing ransomware uh, attempts. These are sophisticated uh, attacks. And when you look at a pie chart of our attack sources, before you see majority United States, right? With some sprinkles of some international locations. Now it's like majority international locations. Once you sit back and you're like, hmm, I know they're not voting, right? <laughs> I know that I try to get some uh, some help services, but they are the significant volume and, and the skill set is better 
it's, it's more advanced. The volume of attacks is more advanced. Probably the last thing I'll add too is most of my colleagues and myself have put a lot more into visibility. You know, we, we've acquired technologies like yours that gives us intrusion prevention uh, visibility, gives us unified threat management visibility, gives us application profiling and even malware visibility at a network level. So we see more now than we've seen before. So we're a little bit more scared now than we were before. Yeah, well, that's the way I feel coming from 33 years in the intelligence community. We, you know, we're, we're scared straight in a way that a lot of our peers aren't. But uh, so I wanted to ask you this because I think you already touched on it a little bit in your, in your remarks about digital government, but what advice do you offer peers when asked about the introduction of 5G and the evolution of IoT devices in government? Because it seems like that, that, intersects very heavily with what you were saying in terms of making services digitally available to your users. It, it is, and my advice to my peers is, there's a lot more out there than you think. Our businesses have been evolving, especially from a state government perspective, towards this, um, this concept of, uh, of a smart city. And whether your state has a smart city program that is officially acknowledged or not, your business teams are smart. They're leveraging smart traffic light systems. They're leveraging smart uh, sensors. They're leveraging all these very, very intelligent technologies to provide a better service to their constituents. So if you're not already planning for them, if you're already strategizing for them, if you don't have a process to detect them, isolate them, uh, you don't have a network architecture with a segmentation necessarily necessary to, to keep them kind of uh, removed, you will, you will have a challenge. So uh, the, the, what we say is, you know, when you discover your network, continue to discover your network constantly. Know what is out there. Know not just what is out there, but what is connecting to. The worst thing to happen to a security individual is one of these devices to be on 5G and connected to your Wi-Fi at the same time. 5G or plugged into your, your network. It just bridged your most secure environment with the internet. Um, so know where they are and probe it. And, and it goes even as far as drones. We're actively trying to pen test our drones right now because we still have this concept of somebody leveraging them against us, even from a safety perspective, right? Um, but all these things are all intelligent, they're all connected. And with 5G, the, the, the amount of data you can run through them, you can exfiltrate your entire uh, data sources through them and it, it will not be visible to your, your perimeter devices. It will not be visible to your internal network devices. So detect these, make sure you have the tools that can isolate them, uh, limit your communications in and out and follow a zero trust model when it comes to them. Good points, yeah. I mean, since edge computing and ubiquitous connectivity uh, have opportunity as well as vulnerability, but it sounds like it's, it's transformational for you. So, you know, the final question, 
uh, is I, I talk to a lot of people in the public sector as well as industry, and I talk about this idea of the platform approach to cybersecurity, the, these ecosystems of interoperable capability where I say we're making our biggest liability, the, the size and complexity of the attack surface, a strength. It, make, it essentially becomes a unified sensor platform where we can sense something coming at us. And from my perspective, very few of my peers in either the public sector or private sector even recognize that that's what the new reality we're facing is. So how critical is an overall platform approach from your perspective when it comes to securing IT and operations across the public sector? You and I have talked about it. You're familiar with Fortinet's fabric. I mean, I, what I, do you think? It, it's, it's something we have to consider as critical as a technology is reapplied. Um, of course, state government, everybody has now acknowledged the, the evolution of the technologies we use. We're investing in the best, you know, network firewalls, the best, you know, wireless devices, you know, we're in, investing in these technologies and they don't always fill every gap. They fill a particular role and we invest in this one for the particular role, invest in this one for the particular role. The problem is created is incident response. Mm -hmm. When you have an attack going on and it looks like you're being attacked a hundred times rather than one attack being manifested differently by different tools, you could miss the big picture. You can have a sock that is completely overwhelmed chasing a tail uh, because it looks like all these things are happening. When you have that unified platform where we all are um, aspiring to, it's where there is that integration between them, there's, there's a communication between them and you can get a single picture of what is going on. The IPS had an event. It was a SQL injection from this source. This device picked up some malware. This device picked up a uh, privilege es escalation and all of them showing a different IP address, but with a single fabric with some intelligence, whether it's machine learning or artificial intelligence, you want your SOC to know that these are executions or, or sequence of events that all match to the same attacker, block this one attacker. And when you don't do that and you block the symptoms rather than the root cause, they just evolve. You know, one of the things we, we're always afraid of when it comes to incident response is you shut down the machine the attacker is on. If they still have a hold in your network, they just compromise another machine and keep going. And now you've just, you might've lost even the artifacts you were using to track them. So having a unified platform, it's, 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 it's even more important now. And you, we're looking to our strategic partners to help us with that and, and to help us alleviate the pain. Okay, well, thank you very much, Solomon. I, I think we're pretty much out of time. So thank you for joining our Take 5 podcast today. And to our listening audience, thanks for joining us for this episode of Take 5. Visit our website, www.fortinetfederal.com to explore how the Fortinet security fabric supports the security needs of the public sector in its multiple environments. The Take 5 podcast series is brought to you by Fortinet securing your digital innovation across the entire digital infrastructure, whether in networked, application, multi-cloud, or edge environments. 
Thank you so much, Tim. It was my pleasure.